Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Any dads in the room? Can you raise your hand? Any dads? I love being a dad. Um, Being a dad is great, and uh, I've learned so many skills from being a father, um, like spanking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I'm so good at it, I don't even have to do it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I learned the art of spanking, is that what you do is, if they're in trouble, it's all about, like, the noises you make and the faces you make and the threats you make that you never actually do, right? So you go and you get a belt and you come in the room, you say, oh, you're going to get it, you're going to get it, you know? And you do just kind of timmy thing, and you never end up spanking them. They're like, okay, 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 you know? And uh, (laughs) the the art of spanking. My wife is completely different. Uh, she doesn't even need that. You know, she just comes in and gives a look and they start cleaning, you know. I start cleaning. I'm like, okay, let's do this, you know. And, uh, and, it, and it's great. And, uh, but, but Olivia, our oldest, is now nine, which means she thinks she's 16, which means she thinks she's grown. She thinks she's grown. And you know, when your kids start thinking you're grown, they start saying stuff. And so the other day, uh, Olivia and Becca were in a conversation and I'm sitting on the couch trying to mind my own business. I do not get into that conversation because I'm scared of Becca. And so I just sit on the couch and I'm reading and I'm hearing Olivia and Becca and, uh, and they're got to, and it's all about, you know, needing to eat your vegetables and, and having to eat healthy and stuff. And I'm just on the couch saying, mm-hmm, amen, go ahead. I got your back. You know, I support you, babe. You know, like, go ahead. And they, they're going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, Olivia says, I object. And I said, ooh, girl, you're going to get it. You object. What do you mean you object? Like, you don't, this all happened in my mind. You know, you don't object to Becca, but okay. You know, that's your mama, white seat, you know. And so she goes, I object. And, and Becca, trying not to laugh, says, what's your objection? And then she goes like this. She goes, daddy has a secret drawer of candy that you don't know about. I said, ooh, child. And Becca just looked, you know, and I said, okay, now in my mind, I'm like, okay, now I have to build a case against this objection. Thank you, Olivia, my eldest daughter that loves me. Thank you for that. That was crap. That was good. Shifting, shifting. I see you catching on, catching on. So I had to build this objection. Well, actually what Paul is doing is as we read this verse, he's building his, his case against an objection against an objection. And as we read this, I want you to take notice of some of the language going on because you're going to see language and imagery, a sort of motif of uh, of being bound and and being free. And from that, I really want to talk about three things that I think Paul is showing us. One is fake freedom. Second is real freedom. And third is live free. Fake freedom, real freedom, and live free. So let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. That's right, we are in the sixth chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1, and this is what it says. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by his glorious power of the Father, now, everybody say now, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin 
may lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Yes, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Look at this. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. It's going to get tough in here today. Do not let any part of your body be an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. If that doesn't make you do spiritual backflips, I don't know what will. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, because we are here because of your grace. We are here because of your love. And Lord, we get to come together, Lord Jesus, and learn about you and and praise you and and glorify you. And, And Heavenly Father, I pray that as we hear this word, Lord God, that as we get to know you better, Lord God, that we will have a desire to be shaped and molded and discipled after you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Number one, fake freedom. Notice in verse one, see... Paul is dealing with an objection because he just spent five chapters laboring, trying to get us to understand this audacious claim that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. And so now he'll spend a few more chapters addressing the objections that would come with making such a ridiculous and radical claim. And the first objection is the one that we see here, and it actually comes from something that uh, Pastor Phil read last week in chapter 5, verse 20, when Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so here's the objection. The objection is, well, wait a minute, Paul, if what you're saying is wherever there is more sin, then there's even more grace, if that's what you're saying, then why not sin more? So that way we could see more of God's grace, right? That's what, that's the objection. That's what we're dealing with. And and so what, what, what the objection is, is they're saying, Paul, if we believe what you say, then what you're telling people is that grace should cause us to sin more so we could get more grace. And Paul is saying, no, it's the very opposite. That grace doesn't cause you to sin more. It causes you to sin less. It causes you to sin less. And that is true freedom, not the facade of freedom, fake freedom, this idea that you could just do whatever you want. That's fake freedom, but that's not true freedom, true freedom. Let me give you a couple of examples of two people side by side, one that looked bound and one that looked free, one that looked bound, but actually was free and one that looked free, but actually was bound. Ready? And so first example, number one is Sarah. Sarah and Hagar. So Sarah is a lady in the Old Testament and God promised her children. He, she, he said, you're going to have a child. This meant the world to her because up till that point, she was barren. She could have no kids. And so she waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. Nothing happened. And so she finally took things in her own hands and she said, listen, I don't know where this baby's coming that God promised me. It ain't coming. So what she said is she said, husband of mine, go ahead and sleep with my slave, which was common back then. Go ahead and sleep with my slave so that way we can have a child okay and so the slave and and, and abram they, they sleep together they end up having a son 
Now, what's interesting about this is when you look at it from the outside looking in, it looks as though Hagar is bound and Sarah is free. But actually, Sarah was bound. See, Sarah was enslaved to what the culture told her and valued her at. Because in that culture, if you were a woman and you could not bear children, you were looked at as almost purposeless because your purpose was to bear children. And if you could not, then you were devalued. Your identity was stripped, you know? And so she was bound by what people think and getting the approval of others and having to control her own destiny. She was actually more bound than Hagar. And so because she was bound, she made decisions based on her being a slave to those concepts and those ideas. And you might be thinking, well, I'm glad we don't live in a day like that anymore. I'm so glad that we've progressed. I'm so glad that we're beyond that. We don't, we don't think of things like that. I'm glad that our culture has changed. Has it? Has it? Or are we, are we not still bound by what culture says and, and what culture will think of us and what people will do? Bound, but just free, and then free, but bound. Sarah had the visuals of freedom. She looked like she was a free person, but she wasn't. Let me give you another example quickly. A married couple, husband and wife, and uh, husband's addicted to drugs, has been addicted for years. Wife has been trying to do whatever she can to kind of, you know, get him off drugs and, and be there for him and support him and do whatever it is. And, and so finally, years and years later, uh, he, he actually does it. He gets in rehab. He cleans his life up and, and, and everything's great. And now he's clean. He doesn't touch drugs. A couple years goes by, still clean. Everything's great, but they get a divorce. You say, what happened? This actually happens a lot. This is actually a huge statistic. It happens a lot. Why? What happened? Well, here's a husband who was bound and now is free. And here's a wife that everybody thought was free, but actually was bound. Because her identity was in being the hero. Her identity was in being needed. And the minute that she was not needed, the minute that, that all of a sudden she, she couldn't find that purpose, she had attached herself, she didn't know what to do, and all of a sudden now the marriage isn't working. It's interesting, and I wonder how many people here today, without me looking at anyone directly, I'll just look up here, I wonder how many people here today look free but are living bound. Y'all don't want to hear me this morning. That's okay, that's okay. But you, you know what I'm saying? And, and so, okay, I will, thank you. So I said, I wonder how many people, yeah, look free but, but are living bound. And so, and so Paul is saying, listen, you say, well, how do I know? How do I know? Paul is saying how you respond to the grace of God will let you know if you are free or just the facade of freedom. If you just have the facade of freedom. See, because there's different ways of responding to God's grace. The one way of responding to God's grace is legalism, right? And this is kind of what Paul's dealing with is people say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If there's just, if God just has all this grace, he's just handing out grace, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you. There's just all this grace. Then they're scared. Like, wait a minute, this isn't going to work out because, because, because then there's going to just be lawlessness and, and, and everybody's just going to do whatever they want. And so what they said is, no, you have to incorporate works into this whole idea of, of what it is to be saved. Works has to be a condition of salvation. Otherwise people are just going to do whatever they want there has to be rules you know and, and, and so like let's just say you're sitting here and and you're at work and and, and you're like okay I, my, my boss needs to see this report I'm just gonna cheat a little bit in some of these numbers so I can look better to my boss because I really need that promotion right and so I, and so this idea comes in your head well see if you are legalistic what you'll do is like wait a minute that idea shouldn't come in my head I don't know why it's coming to my head and so now to get it out I oh guess what I must need to read my Bible more I have to pray more or or, or it must be because of some sin I committed or 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 or, or I have to go in and, and start serving more and you think that in order to change that that it's just gonna be you keeping with the laws and, and, and you keeping with the rules Right? That's one response. A second way to respond to God's grace isn't legalism, but it's license. 
license. In other words, you think, wait a minute, you know, because there's so much grace, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's already been paid, already been paid on the cross. Sin is forgiven. Grace is for everybody. So it doesn't matter what you do. So, so, so you can just be free to do whatever. So now what that person with license in the same situation thinks is when that thought comes in their head about cheating on their paperwork, on their report to look good for their boss, they, they think, well, I can go ahead and do it and ask for forgiveness later, right? Because yeah. there's grace, so it's okay. I can go ahead and look at porn and ask for forgiveness later because there's grace. You see what I'm saying? I can go ahead and, and, and curse out my wife because I can ask for forgiveness later because there's grace, See, and, 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 there's, and, and you have all this license. Well, what both legalism and license does is they both leave you in control. They, both of them make it to where you are the masters, you are the one doing it, you are the one in control, you are your own Lord, you are your own Savior, right? But also what they do is they are also both forms of abusing God's grace, of abusing God's grace. See, God's grace will show the motivation of your heart. It'll show the motivation of your heart. It'll show whether you're moving out of love or moving, moving out of self-exaltation. Uh, uh, It'll show if you're moving out of humility or self-ambition, especially when you abuse that grace. Let, let me give you an example. Uh, let's just say you came from a church who was very legalistic. And now you attend a church that preaches the gospel of grace. And so now you attend a church that does certain things more openly and more freely than you're used to. Uh, and the great example of that might be alcohol. Maybe you were raised in a church or maybe you attended a church that had a very legalistic, straight view of alcohol. You don't drink alcohol. You don't smell it. You don't touch it. If you go down the liquor aisle of Safeway, it's a sin. You don't want anything to do with it. So you stay away from it. Anybody else that does anything, you think they're sinful. They're going to hell. They're not saved. You have this legalistic view of alcohol, Right. Then you come to a church that preaches the gospel of grace and says, well, actually, drinking in itself isn't a sin, right? But getting drunk is. And so now you come to church, you're like, oh my goodness, woohoo, what you talking about? You mean I can have a glass of wine? Oh my, you start running around the church, you start doing it, you know what I'm saying? And you're like, woohoo, I'm free, I'm free. And now you just go out and get drunk every night. You see? And what, what grace has done in both situations is in both situations, you weren't thinking of God, you were thinking of yourself. See, in the legalistic church, you're like, well, I don't want to touch alcohol because I don't want to go to hell, right? But then, but then in the church that preaches the gospel of grace, you're like, oh, I can just go do whatever I want because God will forgive me, so I'm good. I can do what I want. You see? So it reveals motivation, in both situations, you're concerned not about God, but about you, right? But see, legalism and license, but there's actually a third way to respond to God's abundant grace. But we tend to fight against it because it means that we have to let go. It means we have to let go. It means that we have to stop trying to be our own God and our own savior and trying to drive the ship of our life, right? We have to, we have to let Christ rule and reign in our heart. We have to lay out his agenda. We have to look at his plans and write this down. What it means is we have to bypass our plans to get to God's purpose. That's real freedom. To bypass our plans to get to God's purpose, that's Real freedom. Point number two, real freedom. In verses two through 11, you begin to see Paul talking about and sharing about what real freedom looks like as he's trying to make a case to this objection. Now, notice in, in this verses, this is very important because Paul says this. He says, you are already dead to sin. That if you are a Christian, you are now dead to sin. Notice he doesn't say you will be dead to sin one day. Notice he doesn't say that. He says you are now dead to sin. Now, the reason some of y'all aren't clapping and hooting and hollering is because that's hard to believe. That's hard. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't feel like I'm dead to sin, right? Because I know what I did last night and then last week or the month before or whatever, right? 
But Paul says, no, 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 you are literally dead to sin right now, right now. You say, how can this be? Well, by being in Christ. Notice what he says, because before you knew Christ, look at verse six, he says, you were a slave, a slave to sin, right? Sin had complete dominion over you. It was our master. We were, we were a slave to it. But now that we are in Christ, our old self, our slave self is put to death. And Paul uses the beautiful illustration of baptism. And he says, just like going in the water and coming out of the water, right, uh, is symbolic of our salvific union with Christ. When Christ went into the grave and came out of the grave, right? What he's saying is the moment you become a Christian is the very moment that you are free. That you're free. Mm -hmm. That you are free. I love what D.A. Carson says about this. He says, this isn't, this isn't self-speak or positive thinking, but you are actually legally freed from sin. This isn't hyping yourself up. This isn't looking in the mirror, tell yourself, you know, 10 good things, you know, to kind of, that, that's not what this is. You are legally free, done, done, over with. It's done, written in blood, done. You are legally freed from sin. And once this goes from being an abstract uh, truth, an abstract concept to a reality that you tangibly understand, then you can, sorry, you can begin to live this way. Because it's not just a truth, but it's a truth you know. It's not just the truth, but it's a truth you know. See, when Abraham Lincoln signed into law that slaves are now free, they were now legally, from that point, free. They were free. Legally. But see, it took years for that information to cross the country. And so for years, there were people who were slaves that were actually legally free. But because they did not know they were legally free, they kept living as slaves. See that? And once you know that you are free, it changes the way in you perceive things and you look at things and you encounter things and you engage things and make decisions. What's also even more fascinating about that is this, is that even though um, now you have all of these African-Americans who are now free, the fact is, even if they knew they were legally free, many of them just stayed serving. Because they didn't know how to live. Okay, we're free. Well, now what? Now what do we do? Right? It reminds me of, of God's people in Egypt who for 400 years, they were enslaved in Egypt. And then God comes and, and speaks to Moses, right? Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses says, fine, you're going to get plagues, blah, 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 and plagues. Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. They get to the Red Sea. Everybody's like, we're trapped. We don't know what to do. And so uh, Moses raises up his staff. Sea splits, right? Everybody crosses over. The Pharaoh army's after them. The Pharaoh army, the Pharaoh army starts to go across. Then the waters go in, kill the army, right? And so the, you know, the people of God look, and the enemy that you see today, you'll see no more, right? Remember that? And so now they're free, right? Woohoo, we're free. Now what? <laughs> now what do we do? And see, this is why God had to give the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments were saying, listen, I'm going to show you how to live free. I'm going to show you how to live free. This is very, th this is very important. Because, because, because just because you might know it here, you still have to learn it. And notice when the commandments were given. This is very interesting. God didn't give the Ten Commandments while they were in Egypt and say, listen, listen, God's people, um, have an announcement. This is God. If you do these Ten Commandments, then I'll set you free. That's not what he did. He said, he said, notice he gave it after. He said, now that you're free, let me give you these parameters that show you how to effectively live this way, how to effectively live free, Right? 
And according to Paul, to continue to live in bondage or to continue to live in sin after we've been freed is illogical because the logical outworking of God's redemptive work is to live like Christ. In other words, we gladly participate in God's purpose because look what Richard Hayes says. He says, if we fall, if we fail to act in a way consistent with God's will, we are living in a state of contradiction. If we fail to act in a way consistent with God's will, we're living in a state of contradiction. Notice how Paul constructs verse 11 and 12. This is fascinating, right? Paul doesn't say, listen, if you don't let sin control you, then you'll be in life, alive with Christ. He doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say, if, if you don't let sin control you, then you'll be alive in Christ. That's not what he says. Look what he says. Verse 11, he says, consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive through Christ. Know that you are alive in Christ. Then once you know that, then, you, then, then you'll have this ability to not let sin control you. In other words, to the degree that you know that you belong to Christ, to the degree that you know that you are free, is to the degree that you will not let sin control you. See that? Let me work this out a little bit. Do you realize that there's no other religion that could ever say this? Because in every other religion, the indicative flows from the imperative. See, the imperative is, if you don't let sin control you, then the indicative is, then you'll be free, right? And that's how every religion works, isn't it? Every religion says, if you get control, if you clean your life up, if you do the right thing, if you get on top of things, if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and everything, if you do all that, then you might be saved. That's what it says. But Christianity is different. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel is not, if you do, then you be. The gospel is, if you be, then you do. And see, most of us are more concerned about our doing than our being. And if you understand that in Christ, you already belong. Get this, get this, get this. In Christ, you're already accepted. In Christ, you're already alive. In Christ, you are already dead to sin. In Christ, you are free and sin does not have mastery over you. If you get that, if you understand what he is saying, you see, then you might have sin, but sin doesn't have you. Okay? Right? And so God gave these Ten Commandments, these limitations for freedom. You say, well, <laughs> Pastor Rob, that doesn't make any sense. Limitations for freedom? Like, what? I thought freedom was just do whatever we want to do. Like, I thought that's real freedom. Just do, do whatever. Actually, that version of freedom doesn't even exist. And if it did, it would produce the very opposite of freedom. So write this down. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones. Those that fit with sort of your reality, within your nature, within the world, they produce this greater scope for our abilities and deeper joys and fulfillments, right? So like when you think about experimentation or risk or even making mistakes, all of those things bring growth, right? They bring growth. But they only bring growth if they show not just your abilities, but they also show your limitations. And being in Christ does exactly that. It doesn't mean that you won't ever sin, but it does mean that you don't have to sin. See that? It, that it no longer has mastery over us, that you are free. Free to do what? Free to do what? Well, free to do this. Before, you had to obey. You had to. You had to obey. Now you get to obey. Before you had to obey sin, now you get to obey the son. See that? See, in verse 4, we are joined with Christ. If you notice that, Paul says we're joined with Christ. And because we're joined with Christ, Paul says that we have a new life. What does that mean, have a new life? It means you have a new heart. It means you have new desires. It means you have a new ability to follow God. That you are, that there's a transformation happening. That there's a, that there's something within you that's changing. In, in theology, we call this regeneration. Regeneration is when the Holy Spirit is conforming you to be more and more like Jesus Christ. More and more like Jesus. 
Let me give you an illustration from C.S. Lewis. Pay attention carefully. It's a good one. <laughs> imagine yourself as a living house. Just imagine yourself as a living house. And you, you say, okay, God, come into my life, you know. And so he comes in and he begins to kind of rebuild the house. And at first, perhaps he's doing things that you thought he would do. He, he's doing things that you knew needed to be done. So he's cleaning the gutters and he, you know, he, he's taking off old paint and, you know, he, he, he's fixing doors and stuff. And, and those are all, the, yep, yep, I knew that needed to be done, knew it needed to be fixed. Yep, there was a leak in the roof, got that, knew it needed to be done. But then he starts doing things that are unexpected. All of a sudden he starts knocking down walls. All of a sudden, he takes perfectly new wiring and throws them out. And you're like, what on earth is he doing? What are you doing, right? And, and then, you start, he, then you see he's adding extra floors, and, 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 and he's running up towers, and he's making courtyards. And you're like, what's going on? And because you thought he was just making you into a decent little cottage. But actually, he's building a palace. And you're like, a pal- why is he building a palace? Oh, because he intends to live there. See? Yeah. He intends to live there. And so God comes in your heart, and, and at first, at first you don't mind some of the preaching. You're like, yeah, that's good. You know, I need to be a little bit better person. I can try to be nicer to people, control my attitude. You know what I mean? And then you start getting into the gospel, and you start realizing, oh, my gosh, this is impossible. Right. Right? And he starts banging you up. And, and, and that next thing you know, instead of walking out of these doors every Sunday, you know, doing backflips and skipping and hollering and dancing, you're kind of going out feeling a little beat up. And you're like, man, what's going on? Right? It's because God's knocking down walls and, and, and tearing off roofs because he's expanding you. He's growing you. He's building you because he's come to live in you. That is real freedom. That's real freedom. Let me give you an example. You know, uh, you know people coming over to your house, right? Now, I know nobody's going to say amen to this because no one's going to act like they do this, but you do. So people come into the house, you know, that so you're trying to clean it up, and you have that one closet that you don't want anybody to see because that's where you shoved everything. You know what I mean? And so people are coming in like, oh, you're such a nice little house. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love your carpet. It looks great. You know, and you're like, oh, yes, I know. And, and, and you just look like you're having a great time. And you guys are talking and you, you brought them something to drink and something to eat, whatever. You know, having a great time. But in the back of your mind, and, you know, you're like, don't let them go to that club. You know, and so they're like, oh, where's your bathroom? Oh, let me show you where the bathroom. Let me walk you to the five steps to the bathroom because I, you know, and in your mind, you're like, because I don't want them to go in this closet. You know, and so you're like, oh, the bathroom's right here. But are you really free? No, no, of course not. No, the whole time you're like, there's, you know, and, and here's the thing we do with God. We say, God, yeah, come on in, but, but don't see this over here. And, you know, don't kind of, real freedom is saying, God, tear this house up. Yeah, do whatever you got to do because whatever you're going to do, it's going to end up better. Yeah. See, that's what happens. When grace comes in your life, it makes an impact. It makes an impact. In fact, Pastor Phil says this, that grace makes an impact in three ways, right? One way is awareness. Awareness. Your awareness goes up. Your awareness of sin. So now you're aware of of sin and things in your life, and you begin to repent of those things. Your affections, it impacts your affections. What what, what you want to do uh, changes. You, you no longer want to do those things. You may still end up doing them sometimes, but you don't want to do them. There's a conviction there, you see? And then your ability changes. Ability to what? To live free. Your ability to live free. Point three, live free. See, fake freedom, real freedom, right? Live free. 12 through 14, notice what he says in 12. He says, do not obey your sinful passions. In other words, what he's trying to say is, why are you obeying a master that's not your master? Yeah, that's good. Wow. That's good. Right? Why are you obeying a master? That, that's not your master, right? That ain't your master. Why are you obeying? He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because in verse 12, he says, since the power of sin is broken in your life, what he's saying is, you can actually stop it. That's what he's saying. You can actually do not let sin reign in your mortal body, right? This doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, right? It doesn't mean that, oh, all of a sudden you're going to live your life, you know, floating on the mountains of Pandora for all you Avatar, you know, fans, right? It doesn't mean that. You know what I'm saying? 
but, but it means it can happen. That, that, that this whole thing uh, uh, of being like Christ in a crazy way is beginning to be possible right. through justification and sanctification, right? Justification means that right now, immediately, you are in legal right standing with God, right? Sanctification means now there's the process of forming you to be like him. Sanctification is the process by which you become more and more like him. And this is why we kind of live in this tension. We live in the tension of who we used to be and who we actually are. Catch that? And there's always that tension, who we used to be and who we actually are. And, 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 and listen, I live in this tension too. Depending on when you're interacting with me, if I remember who I am, we're good. If I don't, I end up acting like who I used to be. You see what I'm saying? Right? We're driving in the car, someone cuts you off. Now, if I'm acting like who I am, I'll be like, well, okay, maybe they're on the way to the hospital or, you know, Lord just, you know, bless them. And if, if, it, if, if, I, if I don't remember that and I start acting like who I used to be, then it's going to be something completely different coming out of my mouth. Right? There's this, there's this tension of going back and forth. But this is what's important. This is what's really important is that if you are justified, in other words, the minute you say Jesus and you make this determination within your heart, within your mind, the minute you give your life to Christ and say, God, my life is yours, do what you will. The minute that you proclaim and know that Jesus Christ is in fact your Lord and Savior, that minute you are justified. But this is what's important is you cannot have justification without sanctification. In other words, you cannot just say I'm saved without also undergoing the process of metamorphosis, of transformation. Do you get what I'm saying? Right? We hear this slogan in churches a lot, come just as you are. And that's true. You can come to Jesus exactly as you are, but you can't stay that way. Don't think for a minute that you're going to come to Jesus and not be changed. Right? When you talk to people and say, well, I just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to marry somebody, but I'm just wanting to find somebody that, that's not going to change me. <laughs> You're going to be single then. <laughs> and that's okay. Live in your singleness. Be proud. Hey, you know, glory to God. That's awesome. Right? But if you have this desire to be married, but you don't like, think, think that marriage is going to change you, you've got another thing coming right? It's the, it's the same thing. You come to church all day. Some of you guys, ooh, listen, you've been coming to church for a long time. I'm not going to look at nobody. You've been coming to church for a long time, hearing messages. You're serving. You're giving, but you're still irritable. You're still impatient. You're still prideful. You're still selfish. You're still petty. You're still anxious. You know what I'm saying? Brother Cantaloupe comes in, sits in the front row, shouts amen, but don't take his parking spot. You know, you know what I'm saying? Sister, sister Wallermelon comes in and she's shouting and she's hooping and she's hollering until her eyelashes come off and everybody's having a good time. But, but listen, don't mess up her order at McDonald's. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Right. And here we are, we're singing praises in church, but we're cursing in the parking lot. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You're clapping and you're saying glory to God and you're doing a little dance all the way till you get to the car. You get in the car saying, yes, amen. Then you turn around and chew someone's head off. Right. This because you cannot have justification without sanctification. I, this isn't talking about being perfect. It's talking about the willingness to go through the process. It's, it's the willingness of letting the Holy Spirit begin to gradually change you. You see? And in verse 12, he, he, look what he says. Verse 12, he says what not to do. But in verse 13, he says what to do. Verse 12, he says, don't obey sin because it's not your master anymore. So, you know what I mean? But he says, instead, present yourselves to God for holiness. Whew. Now, that's a sticky word. Holiness, right? When we think of holiness, we begin to think of all the things you cannot do, right? Holy people don't do this, whatever that is. Holy people don't do that. If you're going to be holy, you don't do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do that. That's what we think of holiness, Right? That's what we think. I grew up in, in what they call a, a holiness Pentecostal church, my great-grandma. And uh, my great-grandma would take us there, and, and she would take us to church and, and go on different trips. And one day she called us up, and she said, listen, we're gonna, um, the church is going to have church at the beach. So I said, okay, great. And so she said, so go ahead and get ready. 
And so, so we start getting ready, and, and I start getting ready for the beach, right? I start getting ready for the beach. And, and, my, ch- and my grandma, who, you know, hair, hair up, you know, dressed down to here, Pentecostal woman. I think there's a picture of her coming up. And so watch this. Yeah, there she goes. And so uh, watch it. There I am with my, with my. And so, you know, we get, ready for, we get ready for the beach. And so I put on my shorts. I put on my swim trunks, right? I'm ready. I get my sunscreen on. I come with my towel, my flip-flops. I come running out to the car. And she says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the beach with you, Grandma. Not like that, you aren't. I said, what do you mean? She said, go put a suit on. I'm serious. Go put a suit on. A suit for the beach? Yes. We holy. We don't wear that. That's not what we wear at the beach. It did not make me holy, you guys. I was at the beach in a suit, but not holy. Made me angry. Made me frustrated. You see what I'm saying? Because sometimes with, because sometimes with holiness, we focus on what, what, what you don't do. But listen, holiness is, yes, of course it is about what you don't do, but it's more about what you begin to do. It's more about what you start to do, right? It's more about, it's more about what you begin to do in your lives. But most of us aren't really motivated to live holy because the source of our motivation is weak. What Paul says in this very last verse that we're covering in verse 14, notice he says this, sin is no longer your master, right? It's no longer your master. You are no longer to live under the requirements of the law. Instead, live under the freedom of God's grace. In other words, God's grace now becomes your greater motivator. It becomes, it becomes your motivation. What Paul is saying is that the grace of God is a greater motivation to live holy than the law. Why? Why? Because only through grace can you live holy. You see what I'm saying? That's why. Because there's no other way to be free except through grace. What do you mean, Pastor Roger? Glad you asked. This is what I'm trying to say. This is interesting. Paul, who wrote Romans, also wrote another letter to the church in Corinthians. And in the 13th chapter of there, he says things like this. He talks about love, and he says, love suffers a long time with patience. Remember that? He says, love shows kindness. He says, love doesn't envy. Love doesn't get inflated with its own importance. Love is never rude. Love is never ill-mannered. Instead, love is joy. It celebrates, right? It gives all sorts of support. Love never fails. It never exhausts hope. It never gives up. Remember when he said that in 13th? I mean, that's just so romantic, right? And, And we hear this a lot at weddings. And most people, including myself, when we would read this, we would see this as a list of moral behaviors that we are to project. We say, okay, what Paul's saying is if you do these things, then you'll have love. But actually, Paul is deliberately not giving us a set of guidelines by saying, if you want to be a loving person, do this. That's not what Paul's doing. Actually, what Paul's doing is he's showing us a person. He's showing us a person. He's showing us a person who is love itself. He's showing us saying love is patient. It suffers long. He is personifying love. Why? Well, where do you see the ultimate example of does not keep record of wrongs? Where do you see the ultimate example of that? On the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Where do you see the ultimate example of love never giving up? On the cross. When Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. See, here's the key. If you first look at this list, if you first look at it as a guideline to your behavior, then you'll never get there. If you see this not as a love you have, but, but, but understand it as a love that's been done for you and a love that's been done to you. And if you, if you see this as Christ pouring himself into you, then that's what's going to change. That's what's going to change. Jonathan Edwards in his sermon gave this definition of love that's amazing. He says something like this. Love is putting your happiness. Love is putting your happiness in the happiness of another. 
Love is putting your happiness in the happiness of another. See, this is why law is not the greater motivator. Law is just a form of moral constraint. It's essentially negative in nature. For for example, a well-enforced law can pretty much stop a murder, pretty much. But the law doesn't get down to the anger. See that? It can't reach in and get to the anger, which is the root of the murder. Law can stop most theft, but it doesn't get down into the jealousy and the envy. See that? A a well-enforced law can probably eliminate most rape, but it doesn't deal with the disdain for women, which is at the root of it. Right? Ah. Let let me give you an example like for preaching, right? It's one thing to preach, but it's another thing to preach and have a sinful nature fix on it in such a way that, 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 that all of a sudden these thoughts of, well, what if you're terrible? I mean, what, what, if, what if the sermon, you know, is a horrible sermon? What if you don't deliver it right? Right? And you think, well, then if I don't, I don't. But see, the sin nature says, well, if you don't, now you're ruined. Wow. See? Yeah. That's the end of everything. And, and so I can't just, you, you can't just put a moral constraint on it because the law doesn't get into the very depths of it. But grace can. Right. But grace can. You see? The love of Jesus can. Watch this as we get ready to close. For those who have accepted Christ as our Savior, for those of us here who are saved, write this down. The only reason we are free is because of the bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. The only reason we're free is because of grace. That's it. That's it. Sin is not your master anymore. Sin is not your master. Right? You don't have to allow anxiety to have dominion over you. You don't have to allow anger or fear or self-pity to control you. You don't have to have irritability or unforgiveness or envy or low self-esteem to, 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 to be a master over, over you. You don't have to have the drive to be noticed or vengeance to be it, your, the thing that controls you. Because who the Son set free is really free indeed. That's why. Why you don't have to let sin control you anymore is because you are dead to sin. You are legally dead to sin because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, you are free. You are free. Would you stand to your feet? And as we begin to just respond, so many, so many today, you are free, but you're living as though you're bound. You are free. You're free, but you're living as though you're bound. You're free, but you're still letting depression and anxiety and stress come in and and be the ultimate thing that controls you. You're you're free, but you're still letting, you know, envy and 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 low self-esteem be the thing that controls you. You're free, but but you still are letting what other people think of you and having to please everybody and worried about everybody that that still is controlling you and it doesn't have to. Hallelujah. It doesn't have to. Because sin is not your master. Sin is not your master. You may have sin, but sin doesn't have you. And when you can begin to just connect that and make that a reality, then you begin to live free. And that's what the challenge is. Can you live free? The question is not, are you free? The question is, will you live in the freedom that you already have? Because you are free. This week, as you know, our connect groups, which are groups that we meet during the week, um, are canceled because the last Tuesday of every month we gather at Bridge of Faith to pray together. Um, And so even though there aren't connect groups, we still want to challenge you to dialogue about the message at home, uh, maybe with your friends, your roommates, uh, maybe with your spouse, 
uh, your children, whoever it is. And, and so lately we've been ending kind of dismissing with some questions for you to ponder. And so here's two questions to think about to reflect on the message this morning. Number one is, what is the one thing that is stopping you from living in the freedom that you have through Jesus Christ? What is the one thing that is stopping you from living in the freedom you have through Jesus Christ? Number two, what is the one area that you may have abused God's grace? What is the one area that you may have abused God's grace? Some deep questions, but one that I believe if you begin to dialogue and, and ask honestly and openly about, that you'll begin to experience uh, another level of freedom that you have yet to do. Remember, everybody, that Jesus Christ loves you. Remember, everybody, that you are free. That you are free. And that you are not a slave under the dominion of sin, but that you have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, through grace alone, to be free. Amen? Amen. If this is your first time here, so glad that you're here. Please join us right outside at the, at the welcome booth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, because you are awesome in this place. Heavenly Father, uh, we repent and we are so sorry, God, for being free but living as though we're bound. And Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that as we begin, Lord God, to just open ourselves up more, God, and ask ourselves these questions, Lord God, that it'll just reveal you more, God. And Heavenly Father, what's so crazy, Lord God, is as we get to know you more, as we get to know you and the depths of you and the greatness of you and the awe of you, from our perspective, it looks like you just keep getting better. Even though we know you're the same, but it just feels like you just keep getting better because we're experiencing, we're, we're understanding more of who we are in you, God. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, that, that, that we're not going to respond, Lord God, to your grace by legalism or by license. But Heavenly Father, we're going to come to you, Lord Jesus, and we're going to say, God, you are the ruler of our heart. Do what you will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have an awesome week, Inspire. We love you guys. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.